I'm going to ask you to turn to two places tonight. First of all, the book of Habakkuk, found in the Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament. And then I want you to turn to the table of contents in your Bible. I want you to turn to the book of Habakkuk, and then I want you to turn to the table of contents in your Bible. A couple things. First of all, with what just happened with worship and what we want to happen with worship on Wednesday and Sunday, one of the things I want to teach all of us at the Oasis is it's very important for us to make sure that before we receive from God His Word, that we are willing to come to give Him praise and worship. Uh, So often Christians want to receive from the Word, but they don't want to give God worship first. And actually that is a sign of our spiritual maturity, is that we want to give God His due first before we receive from Him. We need to build that culture into our church and want to continue to do that. Second of all, I'm going to say this. We are just beginning an eight-week series. So part of the night, because it's the first week, is going to be some introductory stuff. But let me also say this. Just like last week, when we were ending Titus, you're going to feel like you're drinking from a water hose or a fire hose. Okay? Don't Don't worry about that. Most of the time when I'm speaking on Sunday or Wednesday, I don't expect you to be able to absorb it all and grasp it all that night. I I don't do that. I can't do that. What I would like to encourage you to do is take the thoughts and ideas and understanding you gain from tonight and then let that carry you through the rest of this week into the weekend and maybe even in the next week until we meet again. Use tonight as sort of a jumping off point, if you will, of understanding maybe more of the Word. The reason, first of all, I want you to turn to the table of contents is I want to start by showing you where does Habakkuk fit into the Bible? Where does it fit biblically, if you will? Well, you'll notice in the Old Testament that there are prophetic books And there are what's called four major prophets in the Old Testament. They are Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. They are called the four major prophets. Then beginning with Hosea all the way down through Malachi, those twelve at the end of the Old Testament are called the minor prophets. And Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. Now... They're not called minor because they're less important. In fact, the message of many of the 12 minor prophets is is unbelievably important. It's just they're called minor because their books are smaller than Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. They're just as important, but they are smaller. So that's where Habakkuk fits in as far as biblically, if you will, into the scheme of the Old Testament. He was an Old Testament prophet. And let me say this about prophets. And I'll start by comparing it to a priest. A priest represented men to God. A prophet represents God to men. That's the difference between a priest and a prophet. A priest represented men to God. Okay? 
But a prophet represents God to men. They get messages, if you will, from God and then deliver them to men. That's what a prophet did. So that's where Habakkuk fits in biblically. Let me talk for a second about where Habakkuk fits in historically, as far as the history of the nation of Israel. If you know your Old Testament history, there was King Saul, and then after Saul, there was King David, and then after King David, there was King Solomon, and they were all kings over what's called the United Kingdom of Israel. In other words, Israel was all under those kings. After those kings, Israel continued to progress into wickedness and sin and idolatry and all of that. So after Solomon, Israel basically divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And there were prophets sent to to deliver messages from God to the northern kingdom, and there were prophets sent to deliver messages from God to the southern kingdom. Now, a hundred years approximately before Habakkuk came on the scene, the northern kingdom, because they were a little bit more wicked quicker, uh, they were uh, judged and they were inhabited by the Assyrians, who were the world empire, or the strongest at that point, and they were overrun by the Assyrians, you see. Well, the southern kingdom held on for about another hundred years. But as we're going to see predicted here in the book of Habakkuk, uh, the Babylonians now are going to rise to world prominence and power. And they're going to come in and they're going to take over and conquer the southern kingdom. Now again, all this is because the people of God basically left God. They turned their backs on God and they started worshiping the Baals and idols and all of that. And they became so weak that these outside forces came in. So Habakkuk is sent to the southern kingdom. If I had to say in these three chapters of the book of Habakkuk, if there would be a word that I could put over each chapter, here's the word that I would put to sort of help you maybe outline it in your head. In chapter 1, we would see Habakkuk sighing, S-I-G-H-I-N-G, sighing. He's pretty upset in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we see Habakkuk seeing, okay? He's seeing things in chapter 2. So therefore, in chapter 3, we would say he is singing in chapter 3, his attitude and his perspective and everything changes through his encounter with God. In fact, you'll notice in the very last verse of the book of Habakkuk, all the way to chapter 3, verse 19, at the very end, Habakkuk says this prayer or this content is for the song leader, the worship leader. This was given to them to be able to construct music to, and it says it is to be accompanied by string instruments. So this message was then going to become part of their worship and their praise. So sighing chapter 1, seeing chapter 2, and singing in chapter 3. Now I said to you, and I entitled this whole series through these eight weeks of Habakkuk, High Altitude Faith, or Mountain Climbing Faith. And I get that if you look at chapter 3, 
beginning at verse 17. I want to read these three verses because if you're going to memorize some verses from Habakkuk, if you're going to underline some verses from Habakkuk, if you're going to focus on some verses from Habakkuk, these would be the verses to focus on. Sort of the culmination of the whole book. Because it is declaring to us an unbelievable faith. A faith that says, God, I have now come to a place where I am going to trust you no matter what my circumstances. Even if the whole world is falling apart around me, God, and things aren't going my way, I am still going to trust you. You have built into me that high altitude mountain climbing faith. Why do I say that? Well, notice verse 17. Habakkuk says, even if the fig tree does not bud, even if there's no grapes on the vines, even if the olive trees do not produce and the fields yield no crops, even if the sheep disappear from the pen and there's no cattle in the stalls, I will rejoice because of the Lord. I will be happy because of the God who delivers me. And here's the real key verse. The sovereign Lord is my source of strength. He gives me the agility of a deer. He enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. Now he's using a couple interesting things there in verse 19. First of all, he's using the female form for deer. So he's not even saying, look, I'm talking about the power of the deer to be able to negotiate the rugged terrain. He's talking about the fact that God has designed that particular deer. Or maybe even think of it this way, because we're maybe not as familiar with deer in places like that as maybe you've seen pictures or whatever on television of bighorn sheep. And and the, the places that they can navigate. the place Because God designed their hooves in such a way... That first of all, they can, they can take the hard, rocky ground that they have to get over. And then they can travel the most difficult roads because they are so sure-footed and stable. In other words, God has built them that way. They can navigate that hard terrain because of their sure-footedness and their stability. So notice in verse 19, Habakkuk is basically saying, here's the culmination of our study and where we're going to end in eight weeks. He says, if you hang in there with me, you're going to learn to allow God to be your strength. And God, through this study and through ministering to you, is going to make you very stable in your life. He's going to make you very sure-footed so that no matter what difficult terrain no matter what difficult roads you and I may have to travel in our life, we're going to trust God. It's not going to be based on our circumstances. As Habakkuk says, even if all these things are going wrong in my life, I have learned to have that kind of faith that I am strong, that I am sure-footed, and I am stable. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was reading and studying this, I thought, "I, I want that. That's what I want in my life. I want to be able to trust God more. I want to be able to rest in Him even when things are going wrong or maybe I'm faced with a trial or a difficulty or a problem in my life, a challenge, an obstacle. You know, I want to expand my ability to be able to just put my confidence and trust in God no matter what's happening around me or in my life. And that's where Habakkuk got to. But again... That's the culmination of it all. We'll come back there in a few weeks. 
But tonight, I want to start, obviously, in chapter 1. And the first thing I want to talk about first, from verse 1, is the man, and then the message. First of all, let's talk about Habakkuk. The name Habakkuk comes from the word in the Hebrew, to embrace. But this is not a huggy thing. It is a word that speaks about grabbing hold or laying hold of something. In fact, the Hebrews used it to describe someone who was wrestling and who would grab a hold of something and not let go. And that's what God wants us to see. That one of the first things you and I need to do in our lives and learn to do in our lives is realize, first of all, God's never going to let go of us. God's always got a hold of us, but there's sort of a flip side of that. And God wants us to be as tenacious with him as he is with us. He wants us to develop sort of a a faith, if you will, that grabs a hold of him and holds on no matter what is going on in the world, no matter what is going on around us, no matter what is going on in our life. We are going to hold on to God. We're going to grab a hold of him and we're going to cling to him and we're not going to let go. Because here's the problem. Many times, even as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who know God, when things begin to go south in our life and go wrong, we let go. It's like we, we stop, we get disillusioned with God, we get disappointed with God. Uh, we let go of God and start to drift and start to, you know, move away from God. And God wants us, even when we're struggling, even when we're wrestling with him, and we're going to see the prophet doing that, that we just get a hold of God and we don't let go. That's the man, Habakkuk. That's what we're going to see him doing. He literally is going to sort of uh, play out his name, if you will, in this book. But then I want to say a few words about the message. You'll notice in verse 1, it says, The following is the message which God revealed to Habakkuk the prophet. The word message there, though, in the Hebrew is the word for burden or oracle. It literally means that God revealed to Habakkuk something that he would have to carry that would be burdensome. Now, I want you to see something here tonight, and this is very important. You and I, if we want to get closer to God, if we want to embrace God, If we want to grab a hold of God and not let go, then there's going to be times and seasons in our life where God then is going to reveal things to us because we're so close to Him, and yet those things are going to be burdensome. You see. Because the Bible tells us that God wants to reveal things to us, and the closer we get to Him, the more He will reveal, the more insight and discernment and perception of things around us and all of that He will give to us. But at times, those things, that information, that understanding is going to be burdensome. Now, God will give us the grace to carry that burden, if you will, Because Jesus even said, you know, my burden is not going to be something that weighs and wears on you, but it's still going to be a burden. Now, it was a burden for Habakkuk in two ways. One, the message that God was giving him here particularly was a message of judgment that was coming on his people. And Habakkuk, the prophet, was going to have to deliver this message of judgment to the people of God. 
think of it? How does a doctor feel when he has to give a patient a bad diagnosis? You know, you, 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 you need to give this information, but it's not pleasant. Maybe you as a friend or a family member, you've had to, you've had to give maybe some unpleasant news to somebody at times because it was something that they needed to hear even though they didn't want to hear. Then you can begin and I can begin to understand what it means to carry that type of a burden. It was a message that, again, wasn't something that these people would want to hear, but they needed to hear. And Habakkuk was, was sort of pledged with the responsibility of giving that message to the people of God. So that was one reason it was burdensome. But there's another reason why it was burdensome. The information, the revelation that God's going to give to Habakkuk is totally going to blow his mind. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. It's going to upset him. It's like, God, I, I don't understand. This, this just doesn't make sense. And can I say that now we're coming into, this is really where we start building high altitude faith. Mountain climbing faith. The kind of faith that no matter what the difficult terrain, no matter what road we have to travel, we can be sure-footed and stable like the deer, like the bighorn sheep, because God has developed in us that solid foundation that is not based on our circumstances and even our ability to understand our God. Because can I tell you, this is one of the things that separates Christians who are able to exist at the high altitude of faith and be able to navigate whatever comes their way and other Christians who sort of just crumble, if you will, and are overwhelmed and, and just, uh, you know, just totally blown away by, by circumstances in life and, and navigating life. When it gets hard, especially, when it gets tough when they start going up the mountain a little bit and going to that higher elevation. Because we have got to get to a place if we're going to have that kind of high-altitude faith where God is our strength, where we have stability and sure-footedness, where we are willing to follow a God that we don't always understand. See, if, if we have to, as mere human beings, if we have to understand everything God does, if, if, if we have to put him in our box, if you will, and say, God, you've got to do things this way because that, that's it for me. I can't have you go outside of that. Then, first of all, we lose the wonder and mystery of God which is a major part of building faith into us to realize that no matter how spiritual we ever become, the most spiritual person in the world is still not going to understand. There's still going to be a big gap between what a human being can grasp and what God can even reveal to us. And so it, it, it absolutely is essential and necessary for us to be able to let go and not always be in control and not always be able to even understand what God is doing and why he is doing it. To see this, notice as we begin reading in chapter 1, verse 2. First of all, the prophet is, is 
Well, he just realizes God's ways are often mysterious. Because he says to God, God, how long, Lord, must I cry for help? I have been praying for you to do something in our nation. Judah is turning its back continually on you and things are getting worse and worse. And it's like, you're inactive. You're not doing anything, God. Notice he says, you don't listen. I call out to you violence, God. There's so much violence. But you don't intervene. Why do you force me, your prophet, to witness injustice? Why do you put up with wrongdoing? Destruction and violence confront me. Conflict is present. And one must endure strife. For this reason, the law of God, is what he's talking about in verse 4, lacks power, literally lacks influence in the nation at this point. And justice is never carried out. Indeed, the wicked intimidate the innocent. For this reason, justice is perverted. See, Habakkuk, even the prophet of God, is saying, God, it seems like you're not doing anything. I keep praying and nothing ever happens. You ever been there? You ever been there? Think, God, what are you doing? Are you just sitting up there just watching everything go? Well, God can seem inactive in our way of looking at things for a long time. But here's the thing. Mountain climbing, high altitude faith realizes that God is actually always at work. In fact, Jesus even said in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 17, My Father is always working and I am always working. There is never a time in the management of the affairs of this universe that somehow God is sitting up there in some big lazy boy and he's crossing his legs and he's just sitting back and he's not doing anything. That's never the case. It seems like that. It seems like that at times to us. And that's part of the mystery, if you will, and wonder of God. Is that God doesn't work on our timetable. We talked about this Sunday. God works on His timetable, you see. And so the prophet is really having a hard time here. Because at this point, he's sighing. I'm seeing all this happen, God, and it seems like you're not doing a thing. Now notice verse 5. Another thing that we notice is that our perspective, part, part of the reason why there has to be that allowance for us to follow a God that we don't always understand is because when you and I look at things, we're always looking at things just from our perspective. And through our little world and how it affects us. And we don't realize that God has this great, glorious, eternal purpose in mind that the whole world is involved with. Not just our little community and our little state and even our nation. It's, the, it's a whole world plan. It's a whole universe plan. So notice what God says to the prophet, verse 5. Look at the nations and pay attention. Habakkuk, here's your problem. You're just looking at your one country, Judah. 
But I'm doing other things all over the world, and I am preparing something in other nations of the world. Because my plan and purpose is so much greater and bigger than just your little world that affects you. Look up. You know, there's a play here on words that God is doing with Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, God, you're wanting me to keep looking at all this violence and destruction, all this bad stuff. You don't seem to be looking at it. And of course, we understand that God actually knows more about what's going on than we ever could. Again, what, whatever Habakkuk was able to take in personally is a thimbleful from what God can take in. Remember, the Bible says that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day with God. That means that in one 24-hour period, God can experience more of what's going on on earth than you and I could in a thousand years if we were alive. He sees every murder. He sees every wrong that's done. He sees, he sees it all. We just see a little slice that we get to see. He sees everything and doesn't miss a thing. He ab- absolutely is much more aware of it than we are. And he's working. But again, he's not working at the, the way maybe we understand or the way we want him to. It's important for us to realize this. Things are the way God sees them, never the way we see them. Let me repeat that. Things are always the way God sees them, not the way we see them. So God says to Habakkuk, verse 5, look at the nations and pay attention. And then he says this, you will be shocked and amazed. You're my prophet. And you're not even going to be able to totally understand and grasp it. And if the prophet of God is going to be shocked and amazed at what God's about to do, can you imagine what the careless religious people are thinking? Well, they're not going to get it either. Like the people say in Noah's day. Noah tried to warn them judgment's coming, and they're like, it's rain. What's this rain? It's never going to happen, right? Totally oblivious. Or the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. God's going to rain judgment. Nah, it's not going to happen. So just like today, there there are careless people around the world, even religious people who who think, you know, all they can say is God is good and and God's never going to bring judgment and everything's going to remain the same. Just like Jesus said, just in the days of Noah, that's the way it's going to be when the Son of Man returns. They don't get it. They don't see it. And obviously the enemies don't even see it. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, whatever instrument God uses, they don't even understand they're being used. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he didn't understand that he was just being an instrument of God, but he was. Until one day God humbled him, and he was croaking around like some wild animal in his backyard for a while, and then finally he came to his senses and said, God, I understand now, you are the God. And how you do things in in earth, you are the sovereign one. You're in control. You rule in the affairs of men. You see. So God's ways are often mysterious because he can seem inactive for long periods of time, because he has always a greater perspective than you and I could ever have as a human being. Because notice what God goes on to say in verse five, I'm going to do something Habakkuk in your lifetime that you will not believe even though you were forewarned. And now we get to the next sort of 
mystery of God. Because though God may seem inactive, and God's perspective is so much greater than ours because of his greater, glorious, eternal purpose, here's another thing that just causes us to wonder at God. He chooses to use the most unusual instruments. I mean, and that's not true just for negative purposes like judgment. That's true even in positive ways. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians? He says, not many of you are mighty and noble and great as far as the world's concerned, but God chooses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. And so many times, the people that God really uses are just average, everyday Joes and Janes. No offense to Joes and Janes. Nothing special. Why? So that the power is God and not us. See, God chooses to use instruments that many people go, well, God, why didn't you do it that way? For instance, like when Jesus was born, why did you choose a little town like Bethlehem? Why didn't you bring him into Rome and, and have all this pomp and circumstance? and all? Because that's not the way God works. He uses, uses unusual instruments. So notice, God says to Habakkuk in verse 6, look, I, don't miss this, the Babylonians didn't do this on their own. God says to the prophet, I am about to empower the Babylonians to come in and basically judge the nation of Judah. Wow, God. I didn't see that coming. Can you imagine what Habakkuk probably thought when he first heard that God was going to, you know, Look, look at the nations and do something. I'm sure the prophet was probably like, oh good, God's going to send missionaries. Or God's going God's to bring revival. No, God says, I'm going to bring judgment and I'm going to bring this ruthless, wicked nation into your country. And they're just going to level everything. In fact, the rest of the verses that basically, we're going to look at tonight, verses 6 through 11, you can read them yourself. God is basically giving Habakkuk a brief resume of the character of the instrument that he has chosen to use. They're a ruthless, greedy nation. They sweep across the surface of the earth, seizing dwelling places that do not belong to them. They are frightening and terrifying. They decide for themselves what is right. Their horses are faster than leopards, more alert than wolves in the desert. Their horses gallop. Their horses come a great distance. Like a vulture, they swoop down quickly to devour their prey. All of them intend to do violence. Every face is determined. They take prisoners as easily as one scoops up sand. They mock kings. They laugh at rulers. They laugh at every fortified city. They build siege ramps and capture them. They sweep by like the wind and pass on. But the one who considers himself a God will be held guilty, God says. You can imagine where Habakkuk is. First of all, he's complaining to God, if you will, about God. Don't you see what's wrong with our nation? We need your help down here. And God goes, I'm bringing help. I'm bringing the cure. But it's not what you think. And Habakkuk starts to even scratch his head thinking, okay, here's my problem, God. And and we've been there before too. God, the cure that you're bringing is worse than the sickness. I mean, think about it. That's where Habakkuk... God, the nation that you have chosen to judge us is worse than us. That just doesn't make sense. 
But God knew, and only God knew, what it would take in the nation of Judah to turn them back to Him. And it wasn't going to be coming along and doing something less than severe judgment from a nation that He was raising up to be His instrument, the Babylonians. The wicked Babylonians. See, here's where we begin to build just in these first 11 verses. So I hope you come back. Because we are just beginning to build the foundation for high-altitude faith. And high-altitude faith is faith that begins to solidify in the truth that God, I have to release the fact that I'm not always going to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. I'm just not. And if I need to understand, if somehow I need you to give me an explanation that makes sense to me, if you need to lay this all out so that I can see it, then God's going to say, you'll never be able to negotiate the rugged terrain. Never. See, because part of even where the heart of our worship is supposed to come from and be fueled from is that God never loses that sense of wonder and mystery in our lives. That He's always so much greater and bigger than we can you know, even begin to fathom and wrap our minds around. So our worship should always be with just sense of, oh my goodness, God, you, you, you're just amazing. And, and the things you have revealed to me that I can grasp and I can, can understand, God, I thank you for those things. And we're going to talk about that beginning next week. But God, I am so thankful that you are so awesome. You are so amazing. We sang about his majesty tonight, the, the, the perfections of all of his attributes, that God, there's going to be times where you are so beyond me that even as one of your children, I just don't get it. And I just have to just say, God, you're just, you're just beyond me. But I trust you, God. I trust you. Now, Habakkuk isn't there yet. That's what, we're just beginning. But that's where God wants to start with him. He wants to reinforce, even with his own prophet, Habakkuk, I'm going to do something that's going to shock and amaze you. Because let's face it, if we're going to follow God faithfully, and we're going to develop the kind of faith that negotiates the rugged terrain, we've also got to come to expect the unexpected from God. God is never always going to do what we expect. In fact, many times, God will do the unexpected. God will come in from a direction that we never saw Him coming. That's why He says to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, you're looking here, but you're missing me. Look at the nations and look at Babylon. Look what I'm doing there. And then begin to, to worship me and, and see who I really am. I'm the God of the universe. I have every nation and every king under my control and my rule. My plan is going to be carried out in this world. I'm going to get the glory for it. And that's what God wants us to see. That He's always at work, even when He doesn't seem like He's at work and He's inactive for long periods of time. 
that we've got to remember that his perspective is always so much greater than ours. All we see is our little world and our little life and how it affects us, but we don't see how the whole universe and the whole nations of the world are being affected. And what God is doing 7,000 miles away that we don't even know about. And we've got to realize that many times God chooses to use unusual instruments to accomplish His will. Instruments that we would have never chosen. Ways that we would have never chosen, but God did. And we've got to come to a place in our life where we say, God, I know I won't always understand you. I know I won't always get it. I won't always know what you're doing and why you're doing it. But God, I trust you. I trust you. And maybe some of you here tonight, you're going through something in your life, you don't understand why. God's maybe not revealed it to you. You don't understand why this is happening to you and all of that. God wants to bring you to the place that he's going to bring his own prophet Habakkuk to a place where we can rest and say, God, even if the fig tree doesn't bud, even if there's no olives on the vines, if there's no sheep in the pens, I will rejoice in God, my Savior. I have come to realize that God, he alone is the source of my strength. And he gives me, he gives me and grants to me the agility of that deer to be able to negotiate those high places, those rocky crevices, so that I can be sure-footed and stable no matter what I'm going through in my life. I hope tonight, if nothing else, that all of us will leave here with a greater sense of wonder and awe at who God is and realize we're never going to be able to understand God in all of his glory and greatness. But he does ask us to trust him. And that's what he wants us to do tonight, to begin to just trust him, even though we might not understand. Let's pray. God, thank you for these difficult messages. Messages, Lord, that they're not easy to hear. They weren't easy for Habakkuk, his own prophet, to hear. He had to wrestle with these things. He had to wrestle with you some more over these things. And that's okay. Because it showed that Habakkuk, just like his name, was going to lay hold and get a grip of God and never let go. No matter what. And God wants, you want us to do the same thing. We might not understand. We might be having doubts and fears and all these different emotions in our life, but Lord, you just want us to grab a hold of you and not let go and let you take us through the things that you need to take us through so that you can develop in us that high altitude faith. And so God, I pray that you would allow all of us to continue on this eight week journey through this great, great book of the Old Testament so that Lord, when we come out the backside, our faith will be so much stronger so much greater because, God, you have become greater in our eyes. And that's the most important thing. Bless us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks so much for being here. We'll see you on Sunday and see you next week.